Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as a crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Andy. Hello. And Grace. Right, blessings, nerds. So today our main topic is going to be that of Kai Opaka, who is only with us really for two episodes, technically four, but makes a big impact on Deep Space Nine. And our hearts. And our hearts. And our hearts. But first, we have some housekeeping, as usual. This week, there is quite a bit of it, so we're going to try and get through it quickly. As always, we like to point out that our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. That's why you never hear an ad on Women at Warp. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch long commentaries to old pictures of us at conventions as kids, <laughs> to, <laughs> to early releases of episodes. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can visit patreon.com slash women at warp. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, next up, Parsec Award nominations are open for 2018. The nomination period lasts through June 15th. And uh, that can be done if you're interested at ParsecAwards.com. Show us some love, babies. <laughs> we also want to say congratulations to Nicole, who Yay! won our TNG Cats giveaway. So by the time you're hearing this, the book should already be in your paws. And we have some other giveaways in the works, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> we have also chosen our next book club pick, and that is Keith DeCandido's Articles of the Federation. This is a book that is set early on in the shared continuity timeline, which we've talked about a little bit before. But uh, there shouldn't be too many spoilers as long as you have seen the ends of Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And it, set, it focuses mostly on original characters, and it is about the inner workings and the politics of the Federation government. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, we want to talk about some conventions and where we're going to be. Obviously, we were not at Universal FanCon because Universal FanCon did not happen. There's a lot going on in the news and on, on the Geekosphere on Twitter. So we just really want to say that we hope that any of our listeners out there weren't burdened by the cancellation or postponement and point you towards the many lists and documents that have been made for the vendors and artists who were planning to be there. So if you have the ability and would like to, please go and support them after this cancellation. Please do. So many people put so much on the line to try and get to this convention and get it working. And if you just even have a minute, give it a look over, see what you can do to support all of these independent artists and creators. And congratulations to those who were there for the sort of pop-up con that took its place that weekend, which was very cool to see the community come together. But we do want to say, uh, upcoming, Jera will be on a panel at Ottawa Comic Con on Friday, May 11th. The panel will be about a celebration of TNG featuring the editor and local contributors to a recently released book, Outside In Makes It So. The book's a collection of essays by different writers, one for each episode of TNG, and it includes Jarrah's piece on Man of the People. So if you're in or around Ottawa, we hope you can make it. Canada! <laughs> <laughs> I will be at Eternal Con on Long Island on June 16th and 17th, and I'll actually have a table there. I'll be sharing a table with my friend who is also a podcaster. Does anyone else have any upcoming convention? No, because I'm boring. <laughs> Not at the time being. All right. 
So that does it for housekeeping. Thank you for bearing with me for all of that. I hope it was informative. And we shall move on and discuss Kai Opaka, played by the amazing Camille Saviola. I love her hat. Yeah. <laughs> Camille is so much more than her single appearance on Friends. <laughs> ah, Look I love it up. that episode. Look it up. I love it. <laughs> Until you said that, I was like, what? She was like, oh my god, she was on Friends. <laughs> That's a good episode. I like to think that the Kai got a really crap deal when reincarnating, and that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we see Kai Opaka from the very beginning. She has a huge role to play in like how we shape DS9 from the oh, pilot yeah. on. So I think that she's an interesting character, and it's almost as interesting to think about why she is no longer the Kai mm-hmm. as it is to talk about her, like, tenure as Kai. I- Absolutely. Her appearance early on is such a tone setter for Deep Space Nine, especially when you're coming from a franchise like Star Trek that um, is very science-based and does have this really intense love of secular humanism as opposed to actual religion and that can be taken in some not great directions honestly we we see a lot of pop culturally speaking tendency to go towards organized religion is usually a cause for bad things and it really can be but i really appreciate that right off the bat with deep space nine with this character who's a spiritual leader and who's kind of the de facto leader for the bajoran people we see right off the bat that these people's religion is serious. It's a part of their culture. It's not an indicator of them being a backwater, backward society. And it's really cool how we get, again, we get that right off the bat with her and Cisco's relationship. There's so much happening in Emissary. I mean, before this episode, our only experience really with Bajorans was Ensign Row. Yeah. Right? And here we have, have Kira and we have Opaka who are kind of on different spectrums of at least, or different ends of the spectrum of personality. Mm -hmm. But we also find that Kira is so grounded in her faith Mm -hmm. and that this, the woman who is the complete opposite of her personality wise is that spiritual leader. And then we find out things throughout the series, like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a spiritual position, but it's also kind of a political position. Mm-hmm. And you're elected to Kai, but you're elected not by the Vedic Council, but by the populace of Bajor. And honestly, that differentiation between Kira and Opaka, like right off the bat, I, that's my phrase of the day, I guess. Um, I love that we get that differentiation between the two of them because it really establishes that with the portrayal of Bajoran society, we're not going to get just this homogenous idea of what a culture is where like everyone's wearing the same clothes, everyone has the same opinions and attitudes. We are going to get a fleshed out culture here. And I, I love that. I think that's really important, especially in a show like Deep Space Nine, where so much of the tension of the show is based on Starfleet's adjacency to this other non-Starfleet-affiliated society. Yeah, we do still have the issue that they're telling us that the entire planet has the same religion. Which is weird. Yeah, but at least they're not pretending that everybody agrees on everything all the time. Yeah, it's definitely not a perfect portrayal of a fleshed-out society, but it's better than a lot of the ones we've seen. Well, from the very beginning, the reason that Sisko goes to see Opaka is that he wants to 
unite the different factions on Bajor. We do see that she has a political role Mm -hmm. right from the very beginning, right? Because we have Kira explaining that, like, the only person that's going to be able to unify Bajor in the face of not having the Cardassians to fight against anymore is the Kai. And let's be real, in, in our society, we have that too. We have spiritual leaders holding some political power in some places. Mm-hmm. In some cases, a lot of political power. In some cases, more than they should really have. Mm-hmm. Huh. Y'all thought I was going into this pro-religion. No, I'm still salty. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that makes me love the Kai right off the bat, though, is the fact that she meets Cisco, who's like a powerful dude, and she's like, I'm going to pet his ear, <laughs> and it's going to be cool, and he's going to like it, and he's so uncomfortable, and it's amazing, and I laugh so much at that. And it really says something to have a character who is actively making you uncomfortable, but you you don't dislike them for it. You understand where they're coming from, and really, um, if you're looking at a community or religious leader that's kind of part of it. You have to deal with being like, oh, you're uncomfortable with my beliefs or my faith set? Okay, that's you. Let me explain what I think in any way. For good or for bad, that's just something I've seen a lot of. I just think it's interesting, too, that like from the very beginning, it sets up this tension that Cisco has about being the emissary versus like being in Starfleet. Right. Like he's very uncomfortable with this role that he plays, and it starts right at the very beginning where she's, like, massaging his ear and <clears throat> saying mysterious shit. And it's pretty funny to see him so wrong-footed, and, I mean, that's a thread that keeps going throughout DS9, and they set it up very quickly in the pilot, which I think is interesting. I love how in the entire first season, so much of it is just based around Cisco being uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Just what is going on here? According to the making of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Kaiopaka was originally conceived to be a male character who was conflicting, often at odds with Starfleet's goals, which we see a little bit still with the Kaiopaka we did get. But uh, his visitors were supposed to have disrobe <laughs> while he probed their paw through deep tissue massage of their feet. I'm serious. This is what it says. Wow. That's gross. That's um, nasty. I don't let anyone touch my feet, man. That would not be okay. But that's a very, like, religious-y ideal, right? That's a very 60s Star Trek thing. No, but, like, think about how often when when you're thinking about, like, Judeo-Christian tradition, you hear people say, oh, and they washed their feet. Like, it's a very, like... Ritual thing. Old-school, ritualistic, religious-y thing. Um, yeah. I think but I that, prefer the ear thing. Well, yeah. But that concept of the character went so far as to be written into the first draft of the DS9 Bible. Wow. That's... I think we ended up better off. Mostly with the whole having to strip down for a religious leader has some right. really effed up connotations that I am that I do not like. I think it's interesting that she's a woman, though. It brings a different vibe to the whole thing absolutely especially in contrast to cisco well also in contrast to this traditional idea of what we have of a community leader especially a religious leader that that is still so widely considered you know a masculine thing Mm -hmm. and in all of the religious circles i've been in there's still sometimes this idea of a woman who's a religious leader is kind of a token person there And it's always like, this is our woman rabbi, or this is our woman priest. And to be like, no, this is 
this is Kai Opaka. She is the head of our entire planet's religion, and no one questions that. That's just part of of the culture here. It's cool to see, and I really do like that we get her as this character that's a leader, both politically and spiritually. And you can tell from the way she interacts with Cisco that she is someone who has been able to do that, and that people really believe in her full competency in both roles. Yeah, and one of our Facebook commenters, I'm sorry I didn't grab this one, <laughs> pointed out that this was at a time where, at least in the U.S., there were a lot of debates over women in clergy. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they haven't gone away, but it was a, a very big topic of conversation in, you know, the mid to late 90s. Yeah. And, Look at the Vicar of Dibley, man. Right. And not only <laughs> that, we find out – well, first it goes from – Opaka to win. So two women in a row, shocking scandal. But we find out later, I mean, we're still technically talking about emissary, but that she had at least one son. Mm -hmm. So not only was she space pope, she was a working mom. Pretty badass. I think another thing that starts out here that we start to see is Kira and Kira's relationship to her faith. Mm Mm-hmm. And the beginning of that storyline that continues throughout DS9 too. Yeah. So I just think it's really impressive that they did this pilot. And I think it's a great pilot. I rewatched it. It's it's pretty cool. It's good. There's just a lot going on in it at once. I had to watch it like three times before Mm -hmm. I think I picked up everything that was going on. There's a lot going on, but I think it's well paced. But the thing that's impressive now that I've seen up until mid-season four is how much of what they started in the pilot is still getting played out and some of these questions are still being asked and some of these problems are still being addressed. Especially, what do you do with the Cardassians? Like, how do you how do you balance keeping Bajor safe without infringing on their sovereignty and then also playing the Cardassians and keeping them back without starting a war? Like, that tightrope, that political tightrope that DS9 continues to walk, mm-hmm. is all set up right there in the pilot. Yeah. Which is super cool. They really do have all their cards on the table, which is pretty cool, story-wise. But I did forget what a douche Bashir is right off the bat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was like, Ugh. like, Oh my god, Julian! <laughs> Julian! Why? Ah. Ah. I, but I, I've gotten so used to, like, not douche Bashir that I go back to the season one Bashir. It's kind of whiplash, isn't it? And I'm like, what are you doing? Frontier medicine. What a tool. Why are you hitting so hard on Dax? Uh, I just watched uh, Starship Down, which is the one where they kind of, like, finally put the period on the Dax Bashir flirtation. And I was like, yay, this is done forever. And then Good. I went back to the pilot and it's like, hey, Dax, let's let's get a drink. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh. It's pretty hard to make Alexander Siddig not attractive to I me. And know. somehow season one Bashir <laughs> manages to do it. I don't know how. It's some sort of dark magic. At least we have O'Brien to commiserate with in hating early Bashir. Some of my favorite things from season one are the way that O'Brien looks at Bashir when he's talking. (laughs) (laughs) He's saying with his face what we're all saying with our hearts. (laughs) 
But the thing about Bashir, too, and I mean, I know we're talking about Apaka, but, like, the thing about Bashir that strikes me in the pilot is, like, he kind of represents what Kira is afraid of. Oh, absolutely. Like, that they're going to be super condescending, that they're going to, you know, try and change Bajor to be more like, you know, the Federation and not let them progress on their own, and that they're just going to swap Cardassian overlords for Federation overlord. And in that case, he does his job quite well, even though I want to bite him Mm -hmm. and not in a fun way. Well, also, uh, Bashir, just as a character, is a really good indicator of Deep Space Nine's awareness of this kind of idea of Starfleet. We'll just waltz in, fix everything, leave. It'll be great. And we actually get an entire episode based around that concept that I like that's like, nope, it's it's not going to be that easy. There will be fallout in any direction if you just kind of step into the situation. And... I think that's part of why it's important that we just hate the dickens on of this out of this guy at the beginning because it's like, yeah, it would, Starfleet is in itself an arrogant concept and it is kind of just stepping into situations where you aren't welcome and saying, no, we know what's right here. We're the best of the best and we're going to be the best and force our bestness on you. Mm. The other thing too is that he totally considers this as a way to, like, become better. Like, he's totally up for using Bajor. He sees this as a stepping stone, yeah. Exactly. In his own personal and professional development instead of, like, you know, people and stuff. Yeah. And the reason I brought up Bashir a little bit more is because I feel like this is something that kind of goes into our next episode, Battleline. So we'll come back to Bashir again, I think. But one thing I do want to say about Opaka in this episode that we haven't quite gotten to is this whole, like, spiritual, like, giving people visions and, like, her, the way she seems like she knows everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Whereas when we get Win later on, it's very clear that she's just a person and she gets things wrong. She's riding by the seat of her pants. Yeah, she gets things wrong all the time. She has, you know, very uh, questionable judgment. But when we get introduced to Opaka here, she's very much like the archetypal, like, wise woman. Mm -hmm. And it feels like she's in charge and that, like, she knows what's going to happen. And she's like this font of wisdom or whatever. And it's such a different vibe than what we get from Wynn. That's part of what makes the uh, Wynn getting to be the the Kai feel like such a betrayal and such a loss. You're just like... We're going, ah, we're going from Opaka to her, really? So part of the description, the revised description of Opaka in the the series Bible said, The Kai seems to have awareness on a higher plane of consciousness, knows things she cannot possibly know. Although our people do not accept her powers at face value, we cannot always explain them either. She speaks in vague, mystical, and indirect language, forcing the listener to seek her meaning. Well, they nailed it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's exactly the vibe that you get from her. But she's definitely contrasting with Wynn in later seasons in the sense that that Wynn is after her positions for power. Wynn has an agenda. Uh, Opaka is just out there to be a spiritual leader and to seek help others seek that sort of level of enlightenment. We're definitely going to do... Oh, a Kai Win episode. Oh, hell yes! Some point. <laughs> yeah, and we have we talked are. about her a few times. I think she's been in one of our villains episodes and definitely in our religion episode. But I have to say, I there are moments of vulnerability we get with Win 
um, where she's just like, I try so hard and the prophets don't talk to me. Wynne is just such a complicated character, and that's part of what makes her so dislikable, but also so interesting. But I feel a sort of sympathy for her when she has those moments of vulnerability, because she wants that spiritual connection, the kind that Opaka has and the kind that Beryl has, and she just doesn't get there, and she doesn't know why. And it, it's sort of heartbreaking, in a way. I know why. <laughs> and, well, because she's evil. Right. Well, because <laughs> her motives are not pure. Sure. But there's even a deleted scene from Emissary where she's offended, right, that that Cisco has been named the Emissary by Opaka. And she's saying, well, why should somebody who doesn't even have our beliefs hold this position, have this honor? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Opaka being the kind of person she is – Thinks she has done everything right, thinks she has checked all the boxes, and she's not getting the reward. Mm -hmm. And the line which is then used later that Opaka says back to her is that one should never look into the eyes of one's own gods. Fair. Mm -hmm. Fair. That sounds straight out of the Talmud, I swear. (laughs) In the vague, and you have to interpret this sense. (laughs) Shall we talk about the spiritual journey that Opaka sends Cisco on? Yeah. Absolutely. I think they do a really clever thing in making it, like, science-y. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can see how this could have turned into a religion, and it's still, like, but there's no clear answer. So if you want to see it as faith and God, you can. And if you want to be like, well, it's just science that they are interpreting through faith, you can do that, too. Which is also just part of the fun of looking into religion in general, just seeing where the basis for it all comes from and seeing mm-hmm. that there is a basis for everything. But you can, in a spiritual sense, interpret it the way you want to or the way that brings you meaning. It's not really Opaka, but it's, you know, the prophets through yeah. the the vision of Opaka yeah. that, that has this conversation with Cisco of, well, it's really all of the prophets in different forms, but they keep telling him why... They, they take him back to, to his ship during the Wolf 359 encounter with the Borg. And they say, but this is where you exist. Mm-hmm. And it's really powerful. Oh, yeah. Just watching that. If, if the idea of if you want to get on in your life, even if you're physically elsewhere, you have yeah. to move past where you're stuck emotionally. It's such a wonderful establishment of Cisco as a character being like, he can't really be in the here and now if he's still stuck in his tragedy of the past and how often does a show set up its lead character like that i mean maybe now more often but then here's a guy who can't get past these losses and he doesn't want to be in his job and he's unhappy and he's suddenly a spiritual leader up until this point he is definitely the character that starting off is the most set up as being completely and totally fallible he's the most you know, flawed of the lead characters we have up until this point. And that just makes it really interesting. And again, shows you you're in for something different with Deep Space Nine. I do like that he's also just tremendously competent. Because I love competence. Yeah, it's hard not to love him for that. He's competent, work-wise, but emotionally struggling. Yeah, exactly. He's a good leader, and you can tell that right away. But you can also see that, like, there's so much weighing him down and holding him back. I just think it's a tremendous, 
emotional arc to give a character in his very first episode. And mm-hmm. it does make you really want to see him succeed. Mm-hmm. It makes you root for the character. And the show. And the show! <laughs> well, and then the next time we see Opaka is a little bit later in the season in Battle Lines. Mm-hmm. Does anybody want to give us a, a rundown of Battle Lines? So this is the one, remember in the pilot, Kira says that Opaka's a bit of a recluse. She doesn't come out a lot. In Battle Lines, she just arrives at Deep Space Nine, like, with a shipment of medical supplies? Yeah, but she was like, say what? I didn't order a Kai with my medical supplies, bro. Like, where did you come from? (laughs) (laughs) I just felt like getting out a little. Stretching my legs. I mean, you never write, you never call. So Cisco takes her on a tour of the station, and she wants to see the wormhole. And Bashir invites himself along on their little trip through the wormhole. Like he does. Oh my god, I will never stop laughing at the faces that people make at Bashir in the first season. Cisco's like, really? <laughs> this, bitch, so this bitch is inviting himself along on the spiritual tour here. <laughs> but it turns out that it's a good idea. But yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, you get the impression through what she's saying several times throughout the, the show that she doesn't think she's going to come back from this trip. Yeah, she gives a, a, a like a gift to Bish- to O'Brien right before she gets on the ship, and he's like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give this to your daughter. We'll never see it again. <laughs> but yeah, the, um, the, the runabout crash lands. What? Opaka dies and what? then is then not dead. What? But she's dependent on these microbes. That means she can't leave this moon where they crash landed. So she's going to stay and make peace with the the people who are living on the moon. Which is pretty incredible as um, a comparison to what we get when we've got Kai Wen, someone who very much has an agenda about her own fulfillment, both politically and spiritually, wanting to be above everyone else and wanting to be in a position of power. And we have Opaka, who's kind of arc in this whole story ends with she totally decides she is going to put everything she has achieved aside and could achieve in the future and um, spend probably the rest of time trying to unite these groups of people and make make nice between a very small group of people who are otherwise going to spend the rest of time fighting with each other. And that's incredibly selfless. That's also pretty convoluted, but spiritually speaking, that is definitely saying, well, I'm not going to get any glory off of this planet, and I'm not going to uh, really shoot for anything else, but won't? isn't that enough to try and make sure that this group of people is going to be okay? That's an incredibly selfless thing to do. I really love how um, Saviola played the crash. Yeah. Because, you know, the there's the standard you know, chair acting and the shaky cam. But there is just, when you look at Opaka's face while the runabout is crashing, she's taking it all in. She's wide-eyed, but she's also incredibly calm. She's someone who's made peace with her God. She's the only character who doesn't have a line that whole time. And I mean, sure, she's not running a ship system, but she's also not freaking out. Also can... Can we talk about Kira's mourning of her when she when she first dies and just Kira losing it and becoming hysterical with crying? It's so beautiful. It is such a far cry from he's dead, Jim. 
and just being dispassionate about, well, death happens. This is someone who has meant the world to Kira and the Bajoran people, and we really get to see that expressed. So this episode for me is such a mixed bag because there's so much that I love about it. Like Basically, Kira's entire arc in this episode I think is amazing, and also like a piece of the arc that she goes on throughout the series. Like the very basic Kira struggles are in this episode. Like she has to move on Mm -hmm. from the war. She has to heal. She has to learn how to, to get past, you know, what was and start building what will be, you know, and Opaka kind of puts her on that journey in this episode. And all of their scenes I think are amazing. And I mean, Nana Visitor is so good. Oh, she's fabulous in this episode. She definitely sells, like, the morning right when she thinks Opaka is gone, and she sells every moment after that of, like, Kira struggling to to move on and having to face, you know, the mirror of these people who cannot stop fighting. And then, at the same time, I'm like, okay... First of all, we have Zombie Kai, and then second of all, we've got these dudes that are just so annoying and really irrational, and they make me crazy. And then also, what, she's just going to live here now? Yep. Okay, selfless, yes. But also, maybe not the best use of resources. Like, as far as, we've only got this one spiritual leader. (laughs) And they need her. They absolutely need her. These dudes, well, not just dudes, but, like, these people on this planet moon thing that just can't stop stabbing each other. I mean, come on. The stabby Andes. Just let them stab each other forever. Like, that's what they want to do. That's all they can comprehend. Like, fine. Bye. It's like a friggin' Twilight Zone episode. No, this is the hell they have built for themselves. It's just really unbelievable to me that there will be these two factions on this moon who realize they can't die, therefore no side can win, and yet they still can't come to some sort of peace. It is such an original series concept, though, isn't it? It is. All right, so one thing that you've got to think about, though, is we're watching Bajoran society go from having Opaka as its spiritual leader to win as this spiritual leader is... Do you think they came back to Bajor and told everyone about what happened here? So that no matter what Wynne does, no matter the fact that she has achieved kind of the highest rank possible on all of Bajor, is the top dog, is completely at this point of power, that she has to spend all of her achievement living in the shadow of everyone knowing that Opaka gave up everything to just try and make peace between these two groups of people, to spend all of eternity just in this completely selfless act. Did, does Wynne have to live in the shadow of a martyr for her entire tenure? They make some very vague statement about, like, I think Cisco making a statement to the Bajoran people, but not what he said in it. You've got to admit, though, that must just be such a slap in the face to win, though, to finally get everything she wanted. But she is never going to have that level of love from the people for being a martyr. But they're also not electing a new Kai until later. I know. Nobody immediately steps into that role. 
But I mean, I think she would, that Wynne would live in the shadow of everything, of every selfless act by everyone, because she's always comparing herself. Wow, she kind of does make her own hell then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I do want to say that, like, the writers immediately consigning Opaka to this stupid moon. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bogus. Makes sense when you think about where they wanted to go. Because if you had Opaka in this role and not win, how many things would be avoided? How how many conflicts would play out much differently? Oh no, Opaka got sidelined for being too competent. Yes, essentially, <laughs> yes. She absolutely did. They did not need someone good and kind in that role and that would keep the Bajorans together and that would fight for peace. Like, no. And I guess that would have made this shit too easy. Exactly. So they <laughs> needed someone like Wynne, who could be a villain, and who could keep the conflict interesting, and who could make it very complex. Oh, and Opaka was not designed to do that. Good yeah. stories don't exist in a vacuum. In a yeah. Star Trek.com interview, uh, Saviola said, What I loved about Opaka was that she was a woman of power, and that only seems to happen in outer space. She had a dignity and a little bit of sense of humor, even at the end. It would have been great to see who she developed into, but they brought in Kai Wynn, and it's always more interesting to see a more evil. Also, yeah. I just want to bring this up. How often do you get to see um, a person of size in a position where it's a position of dignity and authority and a serious character like this? You don't see that nearly as much as we should. Mm. So it's really cool that we get to see this woman who's, again, the political and the spiritual leader of an entire fucking planet, and she's a woman of size and no one thinks anything of it. That's really cool. And she's, I think, one of the few big people who we do see in Star Trek at all. That's not a pack lead. Yeah, which is <laughs> unfortunate. She's also a good, like, foot shorter. Yeah. Than just about everybody else on the show, which I think is interesting as well, since they're all looking to her for leadership. She's She doesn't look like an actor actor, and that's part yeah. of what makes it so cool that it's like, oh, she is she is a human being. She Well, she's a Bajoran, but she is a person just like you or I. And now she's stuck on a moon. <laughs> she's stuck on a moon forever. Okay, I'm never going to get over that. That is the just most ridiculous, like, no. Because the whole time I'm like, just get her back from that damn moon. Just go pick her up. Just go back there with your sciencey stuff and like be ready and like fix this problem and get Kyopaka back. Don't just leave her there for all time. What's wrong with you people? You have that problem a lot with a lot of these things when the plot's all wrapped up. You're like, okay, and we'll never see them again. It's like <laughs> there's nothing stopping you from checking up on them, guys. Did you not see Wrath of Khan? <laughs> I know there were some pitches for, um, like, finding her in the Gamma Quadrant and bringing her back to Bajor and then having, like, a head-to-head -head with, with Opaka and Wynn. Um, and also some novelizations and stories where I think even Jake finds her in the Gamma Quadrant at one point and they check in, you know. So there were – there was talk at some point of bringing her back and, like, with this whole microbe – thing they definitely could have written a script around it but they just chose to go with win god the microbes are essentially midi-chlorians aren't they yeah a little bit uh. i mean for one thing you would think that there would be like pilgrimages right mm. something i mean if people are starting to go into the gamma quadrant every now and then why not why not be like hey let's all go check up on this religious leader that we left all the 
fucking moon. Like, seriously, though, like, you have this this undying <laughs> martyr of your religion <laughs> who's, like, on a moon somewhere. You can't tell me that people wouldn't get in a ship and go do a pil- pilgrimage and, like, ask her for wisdom and stuff. Do you think, like, every Sunday and all that, they're like, and praise be unto Kaiopaka. <laughs> Stuck on that damn moon. <laughs> yeah. She's on the moon now. A better place. Uh. Not really, but... Yeah. So then maybe Cisco didn't tell them the whole truth in his statement. <laughs> Look, guys, we left your Pope on a moon. <laughs> they have a right to know. <laughs> oh, Easter must be so awkward now. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So the next couple times we encounter uh, Kaiopaka, it is Story-wise not- encounter. Story-wise encounter, it is not in corporeal form, but in the form of, like, visions and orb shadows, etc., etc. Like you do. Like you do. And in The Collaborator, we find out some more about her past that we didn't know before. Which I think is is important. I mean, it's all well and good to have a character that we establish as, you know, being interesting, but spiritual... And all-knowing and worldly, but to make that character complicated in a past tense, that is really the right way to go with a story like that. I mean, we really can't do that much with a character who was just perfect. And it means so much more to the rest of the characters, especially to Kira, to be like, yeah, this, this woman was your hero, but she also was a flawed person who sometimes made the wrong choices. Any Any episode in which... That dude that Kira dated that I can never remember his name or his face or anything about him because he's so boring. Mr. Bland! I I literally, like, if he is in an episode, I forget that entire episode existed. Mr. Bland, he was here, but we don't remember. <laughs> Mr. Bland, send him to a moon. <laughs> that would be better. He just sucks all interest from a story from me. Like, I'm, I just sit there and I'm like... What's happening again? Mr. Bland, our female lead, needed a love interest, but we didn't know what to do. (laughs) He's Mr. Bland. They have no chemistry. It's kind of sad and scary how, how little chemistry they have. Like, it shouldn't be possible. And yet. Mr. Bland, he's just there to make Odo jealous. (laughs) I'm not the only one who feels this about... This dude, right? What's his name? Vedic Burial. Shit, no, I wrote I wrote a whole song just now about it. <laughs> Turn up, dude. More like Vedic Benign. I always think of him as like having the personality of a bucket of turnips. So when I'm talking about him on on Twitter and I'm referring to him, I'm like Turnip Dude, and and my followers actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you just say that, and I always just think of Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> but yeah, he um. He, he he is he is something else to me. Mr. Bland, know. he's trying, but not very hard. <laughs> ah. he, he's there to serve as a contrast to win. Evil yeah. versus benign. <laughs> Stoppable versus un. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved when they tried to show Kira, like, staring at him and trying to make us think that Kira thought he was hot and sexy and that she was, like, feeling things. I'm like, is she though? <laughs> like, 
I don't, I don't think so. I feel bad for the actor. You're only as sexually attractive as is plot convenient. <laughs> I mean, he's not bad looking or anything. I don't I know. Just find, and, and, and I mean, it's not really so much the actor's fault either, although I don't think he did a great job of, like, portraying calm and not boring because they wrote him to be extremely even-tempered. It is definitely a case of this character likes him because the writers tell us she does. Yeah, and I mean, like, I get the, the I guess, appeal for a character like Kira who's so emotional and, like, filled with such strong emotions to be drawn to somebody who is really good at controlling their emotions and, like, very even-keeled and stuff. I get all that, but I just don't feel like that comes through. He just comes through as boring. Yeah. So, c'est la vie. But it is cool to find out more about Opaka. More backstory for Opaka is always good, and dug that she was a mom, and I dug that she wasn't just, you know, wise, archetype lady that we saw from the pilot, because that would get boring pretty quick. Again, I'll take a complicated woman character over a perfect one any day. Absolutely. So in comments, things were mixed about this. Um, but do you think that this, like, retcon of the skeleton in the closet, was this a good thing for this character? Or Absolutely. did it retroactively hurt this character? Absolutely. Again, I think it's important that we have especially women characters who are allowed to be complicated and allowed to be a mixed bag rather than this either archetype of good or just complete and total garbage. It's really important that we have that in our stories because for so long we weren't allowed to have that. The woman character either had to be a saint or she was a slut. And Mm -hmm. with this, we have a complicated character. So again, this one from an interview in the official Deep Space Nine magazine, issue nine. I love the later series of Trek because there are so many interviews and magazines and references. Um, (laughs) It gives us so much more to work with. Yes. Uh, But uh, Saviola said about this, I didn't understand why what I did had to be kept secret when it was a heroic deed. It was almost like Oscar Schindler. I've sacrificed 40, including my own son, to save 1,200. Yeah, that was a little weird. I mean, it's not... It's a, it's a tactical move, but not not the best one, but it is one to be sure. But if she is still alive on this moon somewhere, and she's, you know, prayed to by the Bajoran people... <laughs> Praise be moon, Pope. Right. Would this be sullying her reputation if suddenly... Who was it? Prylar Sack and Vatic Burial came out and said, oh, by the way, she BT also dubs. did this. Prylar Beck, not Prylar Sack. Sorry. Well, you know Wynn would take that and spin it in a nasty direction. Sure, because Burial knew, so therefore he's not fit, yada, yada, yada. But instead, he just stepped down. Like, it's the same result. There's a mm. bunch of weird weirdness in it. To say the least. Mr. Bland makes questionable choices for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's a needs of the many type situation. Definitely. That's how she saw it. So, like, I don't see why this would be such a huge scandal. But, I mean. Yeah, as far as making your characters complicated, it's, dare I say it, a little benign. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not like she, you know, say, murdered someone in her first appearance, like, 
<clears throat> someone else we could name. Well, like a few someone else's we could name. Bombs everywhere. <laughs> I have a, uh, a policy that if anything blows up on or near De- Deep Space Nine, I just assume wind did it. <laughs> Until someone shows me some competing evidence, I just assume wind did it. Because, I mean, the evidence bears it out. That she is responsible for a heck of a lot of explosions on or near deep. She's just kind of a pyro, isn't she? She is. She just burns shit to the ground <laughs> while laughing. That's <laughs> how she gets her jollies. <laughs> Anytime there's a clogged toilet on the station, Kai win. Show me the proof otherwise. <laughs> otherwise, it's Kai win. Are we talking absence of evidence is not evidence of absence? <laughs> Just blame Kai. <laughs> Specifically when. So we have one more appearance by Opaka. Yeah, this is in the episode A Session. And it's very, very brief. This is the episode where uh, the prophets have sent back the the Bajoran poet Akaram Lan. I probably said that wrong. Akorum? Akaram? Akorum, probably. Lan? Um <laughs> Flan? Who, after 200 years, and he is now claiming... Flan! His, uh, he's, he's claiming to be emissary. So, Cisco steps aside and then is having orb shadow visions of Opaka. And Kira tells him, I think Kira tells him that the Bajoran people believe... Oh no, it's Bashir! Tells him that the Bajoran people believe that you only have an orb shadow. Bashir, our resident expert on Bajorans? Well, he tells them if you, if, that if you only have an orb shadow, if you have ignored the advice of the prophets from a previous encounter. Okay. Sure. But the gist of it is that, um, these visions of Opaka plus the actions and beliefs of this new emissary uh convince Cisco that it is actually his his rightful place so she convinces him to take on that role of emissary and kind of be more active in it going forward yeah oh opaka she's worse than your grandma <laughs> for like nagging displeasure she won't let you forget it when you've let her down comfort me <laughs> on the moon yeah, okay, so how how is she getting from the moon to here? <laughs> well, faith of the heart. <laughs> the idea is that it's not really her, but it's the prophets through her, sure. Okay, okay. Kind of a dick move on the prophets to use her likeness without permission. Copyright infringement. There was some unused dialogue from, from an earlier script where Kira suggests that it was her trying to reach out telepathically and communicate him with him from the Gamma Quadrant. Okay. <laughs> and Cisco's reaction was, we don't even know if she's still alive. And Kira would be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> On that immortal moon? We don't know if people survive there. Someone I mean- could go check, just saying. <laughs> Anyways. I do think Opaka becomes more interesting when you think about her effect on others, in this case, Cisco, mm-hmm. but like, especially Cisco and Kira, and that she has such an effect on how they view things and like the paths that they end up taking. And in that way, I think she's very interesting and also very impactful as a character. Definitely a character that lasts longer than her actual appearances. In yep. effect, we really only had her for two episodes. Yeah. 
But, I mean, most of her impact, I think, at least in setting up the series, came in the very first one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Plus, she's cool. <laughs> yeah, she's a cool lady. I dig her. She seems nice. She has a sense of humor. She likes to stroke Cisco's ear. I mean, all pros. She has your endorsement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, pro Kai Opaka, I'd vote for her. <laughs> no, but really, she does have a tremendous sense of empathy, which I really, I dig in characters. And is what we would all hope the Space Pope would have. Exactly. Ideal Space Pope has a lot of empathy. She's the Space Pope we want, not the Space Pope we deserve. I, all this whole time, every time we use that phrase, I've just been thinking, is the Space Pope reptilian? <laughs> sure, why not? Ugh. Oh. Futurama invading my life. <laughs> Good times. So um, Camille Saviola was invited to Star Trek Las Vegas in 2014. And that, that's when the Star Trek inter- Star Trek.com interview I mentioned before happened. It was leading up to that. And they asked her about, like, are you surprised that people want to see you at this convention? And she said, I guess Kaiopaka was not overexposed. And for the Star Trek fans, no detail is too small. No character is too small. (laughs) Opaka was very mysterious in a way. She was there and then she was not there. There was no evolution and no progression, but she'd been there. So the fact that there's interest, that's great. Well, she understands Trekkies. (laughs) Yep. No kidding. No detail is too small. That's a very positive spin for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's cool. Like. That's one thing that is really cool about being on Star Trek is, like, you will carry that forever. The Trekkies will remember you forever. Mm -hmm. The Trek is eternal. Exactly. Like that damn moon. (laughs) The Trek and its fallouts are eternal. (laughs) Is there more to say about her? Well, we've got some pretty good listener comments we could share, definitely. We've got one that I really liked from PAX on Twitter. If Opaka had stuck around, she would have become the Albus Dumbledore of DS9. Instead, the Bajorans got stuck with Dolores Umbridge. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) Accurate. Oh, the accuracy. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. The number of people who compared Winadami to Dolores Umbridge in these comment threads was just amazing. (laughs) It is a fair comparison. A comparison. A comparison. And and the Dumbledore comparison is good too because like Dumbledore is like hanging out in that portrait. But also also a flawed character in hindsight. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. She's the worst. Yes, Mary. We've also got a really interesting one from Katie on Facebook who said, I loved the character as an example of a woman holding spiritual power and political influence. Well, I thought she was groundbreaking. The mirroring between Opaka and Kira I found very moving. I was in South Africa shortly after Mandela was elected president and the national TV station had DS9 shown daily at dinner time. Everyone would stop and watch it. Bars full of men watching this program about people trying to rebuild their lives with dignity. I've never been so proud of Trek. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, it's really easy when it's something that we talk about just kind of flippantly that pop culture does affect people in the wider range of the world. Oh, for sure. And and is always of its time. For good or for bad again. I think in some ways DS9 was ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was in a lot of ways. Or could we even say out of its time? <laughs> 
We also had a comment from Doug on Facebook who said, I feel like she could have still wielded influence from where she was. Hashtag death moon. <laughs> it's, I added that. That's me. Um, it's too bad we didn't see her again. I remain fascinated by Deep Space Nine's portrayal of people of faith and how it feeds their resolve for political resistance. Yeah. Such a thing is not often seen in Star Trek, nor much, nor in much of Western media. See, Doug agrees with me. Mm-hmm. He's also pointing out that people would have wanted to go to pilgrimage. Yeah. <laughs> saying. Hashtag death moon. yeah i mean the last notes i really have for her is what um saviola has said about her casting (laughs) and apparently they called in basically every character actor they could think of (laughs) and like even wanted to audition kathy bates that would have been interesting right but probably very expensive and um the other one from American Horror Story. Jessica Lange? Yes. Oh, that would have been... <laughs> that would have been wild. Right? They wanted a lot of Oscar winners in the right. Kai role, I guess. How many Oscar winners can you afford per Star Trek series? For real. As Saviola said, I went in, every character actress was there, and I did a little tarot card reading. The real thing. My grandmother read cards and tea leaves down in Greenwich Village. She never charged people money. And I have a little bit of that gift. Rick Berman was impressed with the quiet toughness of it. That's how it happened. I don't remember if I had a callback or not. It was really very easy. That was a ballsy move. Put beat out Jessica Lang for a role <laughs> on your on your resume forever. <laughs> Put that on your vanity plates, man. Tell the world. Put that on your gravestone. I don't think she actually went in because she wasn't doing TV at the time. Yeah. But the note said they were interested in her. That's pretty great. Still knowledge you can take to the bank, self-esteem-wise. I'm going to double-check that now because I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. Oh, no, just Kathy Bates, so ignore that part. Take it out. (laughs) No, no, I think we should leave it in. No, because then I'm wrong. It's okay. We'll take it out. That just makes you a complicated character, too. <laughs> All right, we'll so, take it out. And like we said, we'll take complicated over perfect anything. It, it was Kathy Bates who specified she didn't want to do any TV at that stage in her career. Fair. But um, they also, on this list, were our Shelley Duvall. Oh, what? Shelley Duvall had kind of become a recluse. Was that by that point, or did that happen later on? I'm not sure about that. She only just started reemerging. Oh, Natalia Nogolich is on this list. Oh, hey! Natalia! That would have been interesting. Trisha O'Neill. That could have been cool. Yeah, the, the possible list of people they either saw or wanted to see is quite impressive. I think wow. they, they made good. But I was wrong. Jessica Lang was not among them. My fault. <laughs> We gotta pretend there's an alternate universe where that happened. It, it's the same alternate universe where Jeffrey Coombs is Riker. I'm on a lot of allergy medication. Please blame. <laughs> please, please blame the Claritin. Okay. okay, now I'm keeping it all in. Blame it on the Claritin. <laughs> and that's how many times I've sung this episode? A lot, but not enough. <laughs> One of these days, I'll just do a musical episode. So, do we have any final thoughts on Kaiopaka? Hashtag death move. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Again, complicated characters. We need them. Make your ladies complicated. I think that I would have loved to see more of her, but what we, the little bit we did see really did shape Deep Space Nine, and it shaped the journey of our main character, if not two of our main characters. Here, here. She's definitely a small character that had a big impact on the series. And yes. as much as I would have liked to see more of her, her departure really did make way for, I think, one of Star Trek's greatest villains. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt. All right. So I guess that'll do it for us today. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing crew at womenatwarp.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Women at Warp, on Facebook at facebook.com slash womenatwarp. And you can find our show notes and blog posts over at womenatwarp.com. So, Andy, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter, where I call people turnip dude, and people understand what that means. Um, and you can catch me at, at First Time Trek, where I'm live tuning through my first time through Star Trek. And Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and on the moon of the undying. <laughs> Hashtag Death Moon. <laughs> And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And for more from us and more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. See you on the Death Moon.